This is The Reluctant Expat. Have you ever wondered what would happen if you sold your house, said goodbye to family, friends, and moved halfway around the world? Is this change too scary for you to consider? It was for me. My husband got a great opportunity to work abroad, and I went with him. An expat is someone who leaves their native country and relocates for an assignment abroad. As the reluctant expat, I have traveled the world meeting fascinating people, experiencing cultures, interesting foods, and languages. While my family and friends back home tell me what I've been missing. Join me on my many adventures, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I share my experiences and highlight the movers and shakers of the expat life. to the Reluctant Expat. My name is Vinesh Dubois, and today we're going to be talking about our COVID experiences in Seoul, South Korea, Canada, and the U.S. since this madness started. And joining me is Ray Dubois, my husband, who's been with me throughout it all. Hi, honey. Hi. How are you? Good. <laughs> wow, that was quite the high. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Hello. So since this whole COVID 2020 thing started and we had just gotten back home from Vancouver celebrating a beautiful Christmas in Tofino, and then we came back and in January things started to buzz around in Korea a little bit that there was something going on, some, you know, pandemic sort of thing starting up. Oh, it was all baloney. I told you it was just the flu. Yeah, that's right. You did tell me it was a flu. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then February came and things started to escalate. Yeah, yeah, more. yeah. I told you it'd be gone by Easter. Right. And we were watching the U.S. news. And I remember in February, our friends and family back at home were calling us and saying, hey, we're watching all this stuff on TV and Korea is like spraying shit down and supermarkets and everybody's in these big PPE outfits and what's going on out there? What were you thinking? I was thinking, can you say shit on Apple Podcasts? I'm not sure. Of course, it's my podcast. Oh, I can okay. say whatever the hell I uh, want. What was I thinking? I was thinking the Koreans were going crazy as usual. They always uh, are very careful when it comes to flu season. And this was just another flu and they were overreacting as usual. Right. So that was like February and we were starting to wear masks on the train and taxis. Well, no, they always would wear masks in the wintertime in Korea, similar to Japan. Not everybody. There was a few Many people that... people, yeah. I mean, maybe three quarters of them, 70... I'm a fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I misunderstood what you said there. So it didn't alarm you in February? No, I, I thought the Koreans were overreacting. They were going crazy. There had been a... An incident in a small town called Daegu, where somebody had come with COVID to a large church and it had spread throughout the church and a bunch of people had ended up in the hospital. So it was something to pay attention to, but I wasn't thinking that it was anything that serious at that point. Babe, a church and there was a major outbreak and they closed a city down. You didn't think that there was any kind of... 4,000 people, and it was only a city larger than Vancouver. What are you upset about? Oh, so if something like this happened in Vancouver, you'd be like on the next plane over to see where the kids were and if everybody's okay. All right, okay. Maybe I was a little clueless. Okay, fine. So what are you you trying to say? (laughs) Okay, so then March comes along, and now we're full on. Like our apartment 
it has an intercom system. And every daily we would get like news reports of what was happening in Korean. But if it was really important, then we'd get it in English as well. Yeah, but they were also like texting you about every 30 seconds saying so-and-so was in this part of the neighborhood and they had COVID. You were in contact with this person. You needed to be aware of it. And so our emergency broadcast texts were going off about every 30 seconds on the phone to the point where I literally turned my emergency broadcast text system off because it was driving me crazy. Yeah. And then there was a place near us called Itaewon, and that's a major like a hangout for expats and, and nightclubs and all that. Nightclubs and that. Restaurants. And the U.S. garrison is right near there. Yes. So it's a uh, hangout for army people, U.S. <laughs> army people. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and they had an outbreak there in a nightclub. And that's when no one was going to Itawan. It was like taboo to go there. Yeah. Well, Itawan's also got a bit of a reputation as being sort of the gay karaoke hangout. And so the, I think a lot of the Koreans went, oh, it's it's not a problem for everybody. It's just the gay Koreans that are, you know, having some issues. Okay. <laughs> That's wrong on so many levels, but okay. So I remember us going for walks around that time and we'd look up there and you said to me one time, well, let's just go walk up there. And I said, no, that's supposed to be like, you know, COVID area. And everybody was just freaking out in Korea. When was like the US waking up to this? It was more like March, April? I'd say they woke up in November. No, no, no. Come on. Well, Donald didn't have a clue. I mean, he was talking about putting bleach into well, people and, and that it wasn't the problem wasn't COVID. It was that we, they were testing so much. And I mean, even today, when you're here, the the folks in America don't quite believe that there's really an issue, at least not in their area. There might be people dying, but it's not their issue. Right, right. I'm not talking about Donald and the belief and stuff. I'm talking more science. When was I was thinking, isn't it around like, March when they got their first, you know, victim to COVID nineteen. No, they had people. They had uh, people going into hospitals starting in January. I think the first guy landing from Wuhan into Seattle was sometime in January, and then they had a whole outbreak in uh, nursing homes in Seattle as well. Right, right, okay. So, I mean, for us, it was mainly just like we weren't going out anywhere. We weren't going to restaurants. We were just staying inside our house and going to the grocery store and the grocery store was just full of people, but everybody was wearing masks and there was temperature checks at the, when you entered and they were taking our temperatures and hand sanitizers everywhere. And so it was kind of like business as usual, sort of, you were working from home most of the time. They did a bunch of social distancing programs. So they had different levels of social distancing. And when you got up to, I think, level three, they didn't want you going into work. But for most of the year, they didn't have that in place. It was only, I think, early on where they tried a bit of that. But And they, they recommended that you didn't go into workplaces that had more than a certain number of people. But they, they tried to keep it limited and small as far as getting groups together. You're talking about Legoland Korea? No, I'm talking about the Koreans in general. That, right. that, that they had different social distancing programs for businesses. So what was it like at Legoland Korea? We had everybody wearing masks and taking temperatures when you came onto the job site. I mean, with construction, there's lots of people there, but they're spread out all over the place. There was uh, engineers and designers that would need to go into meetings and project managers, but we would keep those meetings small. So we normally would have meetings of 20 or 30 people 
but we started limiting those meetings to five and six people at most. Mm, okay. Okay. And then we weren't really going out to pubs or anything, so it didn't really affect us. And most places, like I remember my language teacher and I became friends. And when the levels got up to 2.5, she would call me and say, hey, V, you want to go for coffee? And I'd be like, yes, I'm dying to get out of the house. Then she would say, yes, but we can only pick up the coffee and we can walk around the park. And that's it. We can't sit inside. So when level two came up, it's like, yes, freedom. So you decided you were going to go see the kids in October. What was the process to get out of Korea and then get into Vancouver? Well, Vancouver didn't request a 72-hour COVID test. All I did need to do is get a re-entry visa, and you and I went to get that, and that was a bit of a shit show. <laughs> yeah, that was several hundred people lined up waiting to try and get passport stamps before Christmas, and the lineups were long and, and incredibly annoying, but we, we eventually figured it out, and we got up to the front of the line and, and did our thing and got our... Uh, re-entry visas. And that allowed us to come back into Korea without having to reapply for an alien registration card. Right. And then flying to Vancouver was not anything un unusual. I mean, except going into Incheon Airport, it was like a ghost town. Normally, I'm so used to that airport just buzzing with people and there was like no life there maybe two, three people here and there. And same with the airline. I was surprised that they're actually flying this plane to get to Vancouver where there was like maybe, maybe a hundred people, if that, and the food sucked, but whatever, it's okay. I mean, I got to Vancouver before even arriving into Vancouver. I had to get the Arrive Cam app which basically tells the Canadian government that you're here and that you can fill out their form and let them know where you are so that they can call you and track you. And did they track you? They tracked me all right. What happened? So I thought that because I, did, I wasn't going to turn on my Korean phone that I would get a Vancouver phone number and then the Vancouver phone number didn't get registered into my arrive cam. And then they phoned my mom's house and my mom said, oh, no, she's not here. And then she said, she's at her daughter's. And then they called my daughter and she said, oh, no, she's not here. She's at my house. So then they got a little pissed off. And the next thing you know, I get a call from this big, burly RCMP officer going, is Vinash Dubois there? And then I said, uh, yeah, that's me. And he said, yeah, I'm just checking your address. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm here. And that was it. And then after 14 days, I didn't have to take a COVID test at the end of my quarantine. And then I just continued with my life. So that was, and then you came. But I didn't come for another month. Right. And when I came, I went through the same experience with the ArriveCam app that you had to download and go through the two-week quarantine and all of that. It wasn't terribly difficult. But in the meantime, the Koreans had put it in a process where if you were going to come back to Korea, you had to come back to Korea with a PCR COVID test. And so at the end of our time in Vancouver, we ended up going to S. Simon Fraser University to uh, go through and get a PCR test, which was a lot of fun. It was a bit of a gong show. Yeah. And they literally like $300 each. More than that. I think it was $400 each. Yeah. So I was like, what? This whole thing has gotten really expensive. But yeah, we got our COVID tests there. And then within what? 24 hours, we got our 
test result back. And that was, that was a hard thing. It was kind of like juggling, like you had to have a 72 hours and you had to make sure that it was open because it was holiday time. So because it was the holidays, we had originally scheduled our trip back to Seoul, Korea on like the 4th or 5th of January, but we couldn't go because the offices were closed because, you know, they were just coming out of Christmas holidays. The offices for what? The COVID testing. Oh, okay. Yeah, the COVID testing place wasn't open. Yeah. So So we we couldn't get on the plane. Right. So then we had to extend our trip, which was, I mean, I was happy with it because I got to hang out with the family more. So we got the test and then we were on an airplane and then we arrived in Korea. (laughs) That was fun. They they have like a whole employment program around COVID. I mean, there are just, I don't know how many people we ran into, but there was at least 25 or 30 people related to checking all of our documentation, our phones, making sure the app was loaded, making sure our address was correct, testing to make sure the phone number that we put in the app was actually the phone number for the phone. I mean, it went on and on and on. There's at least six or seven stations we had to go to in order to get checked. I mean, the only thing we had going for us is nobody was on the flight with us. But if it had been a busy flight, I mean, we could have been there for days. Yeah. And it wasn't like they were expecting you to know how to work this app. They just said, give me your phone and I will put it in and I will make sure it's working. Like it wasn't like you could say, oh, well, I didn't know how to use this. No. What do you think? They explained it or they did it? I mean, what they said to you before you left is you had to fill this thing out twice a day by 10 o'clock and four o'clock. And they didn't mean that you have to fill it out by 10 o'clock and four o'clock. They meant at 10 o'clock, you need to fill it out. And at four o'clock, you need to fill it out. And if you're late, we will find you. Yeah. Yeah. So then we got after like being interviewed by like six different stations, we finally got cleared to go get our bags. And then <laughs> then we were walking out and did a dog smell something in your bag or didn't you have some food? Oh, yeah. So because we knew the food was going to be crap, we decided to stop off at a subway. And I got a salad and a sandwich and Raygods, whatever. So anyway, I ate my salad, but I had a little bit of my sandwich. And I thought, oh, from Incheon to Yongsan, where we live, it's a long drive and we're not going to stop anywhere. So I might as well keep my sandwich. Well, hello. <laughs> yeah, the dog started sniffing your leg at that point. Oh, my God. He's, and he was—he was real. No, he was actually okay. He was pretty chill. But it was the officer. He just kept pushing him towards me. Like, <laughs> like smell her. Smell her. And uh, the dog's I've, like, I've no, she's be- all good. Yeah, I've smelled you before. It, it's- <laughs> <laughs> no, she's like. And then the, the officer just, you know, like, I'm always like the one person that they always randomly pick, right? Right. So anyway, this officer, so sure enough, you know, I did have that sandwich. So they said, open up this bag. And I said, okay, great. And I opened it up and there was a sandwich and they said, you cannot bring tomatoes in here. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yes, please take it, throw it away. Oh my God. Okay. And inside my head, I'm thinking, holy shit, they better not open my bags because I have chutney and I have, I have, you know, pickle and they better not take that away. So anyway, it was all good. We got out and then as soon as we get out, we're about to go get a taxi. And then what happens? 
Well, they have specialized COVID taxis. So these taxis are pre-cleaned for you so that the last passenger, you know, doesn't leave any COVID behind. And then they've got full plastic barriers in between the drivers in a mask. The driver's only allowed to take you to your home. Uh, he's not allowed to take you to the shopping mall. He can't, you know, help you get groceries. You have to simply go home and go into quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. And and then when we did show up within like a couple of days, they told us that we we're supposed to go get a COVID test after four days of uh, our quarantine. So it was like, okay. But then on like the second day, there's this box that arrives at our door. And inside the box, there are two boxes. Inside them was sent by the, the local health department. Yeah, the local health department. And they had masks and hand sanitizers and gloves and temperature probes. Yeah, you got your own electronic thermometer. Yeah. And um, so that you had no excuse. You had to give them your temperature every day. Right. And and inside were huge garbage bags, like, you know, like the big glad garbage bag heavy duty ones, except these ones were orange with hazard symbols on them. Yeah, biohazards. So, yeah, biohazard symbols. And we had to take those bags and put all of our garbage in it because we were not allowed to leave our apartment. So all our garbage and everything that was like food wise was supposed to go in our freezer. And then once your quarantine is done, you have to double bag the garbage and then take it downstairs into your garbage area and then uh, just put it in the things like it was crazy yeah it's sort of like ncis is that what i would call it oh yeah crime scene investigation (laughs) it looked like it looked like we had killed somebody and put all the bio waste into the bag and then they'd sent it off for incineration i know you felt really guilty walking downstairs with this orange bag that had this biohazard sign on it So then you get out of quarantine in Korea. Oh, no, don't. Don't forget our two pleasant COVID tests. Well, we got actually got four pleasant COVID tests. Yeah. So the first one was four days into our quarantine, we were allowed to leave and go to the Yongsan Health Department. And then when we got there, it was very, very official. Like nobody was kidding around here. They had this booth. Um, outside outside so it was freezing it was snowing wasn't it yeah it was snowing right and we got our tests but these were like deep nasal swabs but they did the nasal swab and the throat swab yeah and two different tests yeah and a deep throat swab and they warned you it's gonna hurt and i'm like oh no Anyway, so that was the first one. And then what is what did you think about their like isolation procedures for the testers? Like in Canada or even in the US when we've gone for a COVID test, a nurse or or somebody comes in and sticks a Q tip down your nose and off you go and life is fine. In Korea it's a whole different thing. They've got the testers behind a glass window and the window has rubber gloves attached to it, like they're dealing with hazardous waste or nuclear whatever power. And so literally the tester reaches through these rubber gloves that are built into the window and they do all of their testing through this sort of barrier uh, so that the testers can never get exposed to anybody who has COVID. And so it was kind of a weird, strange, like it was as much science fiction as I've seen in this whole COVID era of just walking up and, oh, there's the guy that's going to test me. But he's behind a window with rubber gloves that are attached to the window and it was complete isolation. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It was kind of funny, though, because when he was doing you, and it, it can't be comfortable to do a 
swab test with these big fat gloves and then I was trying to do like a video of you while he was doing you and then he was trying to wave at me don't take a video and this big glove was like flapping everywhere (laughs) all right so then so that was the first test and then the second test and then the second test mm, equally lovely does anything come up well I think the fun part was they would give you the hand warmers Oh, yeah. But the hand warmers would never warm up. We would never figure out how to get the hand warming thing to warm up until we got home. Yeah, so we got our second COVID test at day 13, and we had to wait until the next day at noon, and then we were free. And yeah, so that was our quarantine uh, in Korea. So we had to give information to the Korean government twice a day for 14 days, plus four COVID tests through the quarantine period. During our quarantine, we would record our temperatures at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. But if our phone didn't move for a while and we didn't check in at exactly 10 o'clock, because sometimes I was like rebel, you know, like, I'm fine. I'm going to check in at 11 a.m. and see what happens. Well, I would get a call from them or I would get a text message saying, "Uh, you didn't send us your temperature. It's like, okay, all right. So I get it. Honestly, I truly applaud the Koreans for being so vigilant. And, you know, if if there's anything that I'm saying that, you know, makes it sound like I'm really angry at, at the Koreans for doing this. No, not at all. I think that it's amazing that they've been able to do this because that's how they've been able to keep the numbers down. And how many people live in Korea? 50 million. How many cases have they had? I'm not sure about the cases, but I know that they're... Death rate is what under two thousand. Yeah, I think they may have had a hundred thousand cases and and less than two thousand deaths. Yeah, so that's incredible. How has it been different coming to New York versus coming into Korea? Well, we just finished getting out of our quarantine from uh, Vancouver, and then uh, we're uh, going to New York. So we had to go back and get our reentry visa again and our PCR test, and that was a lot of fun. And then um, your work visa and all that sorted out. And then coming back, the airport was a little bit busier. Then it was when we had first initially started traveling, but then coming into the U.S., it was pretty straightforward. Like we didn't, there was nobody checking, you know, temperatures or anything. And then what about when we went up to immigration? Oh, they looked at all my visa paperwork, but they, they didn't ask at all for any of the COVID testing. Right. They were more interested in you working for Legoland than they were. Of course. Uh, <laughs> And then coming out, we just got our bags and then, oh, yeah, there was military. Well, the the reserve guys were just making sure that we had completed the New York Department of Health survey, and, and we had. And so we showed them that, and, and that was straightforward enough. And then we jumped in the car and drove to Goshen. Right. And then there was no real quarantine protocol, but we arrived on a Thursday, and then we basically stayed in. And on Monday or Tuesday, we went and got our COVID test. We got the rapid test, not the PCR test. Right. But we, you know, we tested negative. So we were allowed to go about our business. I was an essential worker. So I was able to go straight to the construction site and and you were uh, able to do your thing. Was there any like software you had to download or any phone tracking or any of that? No. Nothing? No. I was kind of wondering like with the U.S. and... 
how many cases they had and, you know, how many deaths that they had, that they would have all this kind of stuff in place. But no, they don't. How have you found, like, the residents? Are they uptight about masks and all of that? No, like, we're living in this apartment and we'd go out into the lobby and there would be people out there with no masks. And then there's people with masks and grocery stores all require masks. So it's kind of... Do you, know, do you know what they call the people without masks? Maskless? Republicans. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to go there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's been our journey so far. I mean, we're here for a few months and let's see what happens. And hopefully we'll get our vaccines and everybody will get their vaccines and we can have some sort of normalcy back in our life again. So of the three places that we've gone, where do you think they'll get vaccines first? I mean, in Canada or Korea or the U.S.? I think the U.S. will get the vaccines first and Canada. And Korea was just starting when we left, but it was going to be a slow rollout. I hope they do. I mean, but Korea is doing really well. I'm not really worried about them. I'm, I'm worried about the U.S. and I'm worried about Canada. Why, 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 why are you worried about Canada? Well, because, I mean, it's it's my home and I want to go back and I want to, you know, see my family and my friends and not have to. Right now, if you go into Canada, you have to go into a quarantine hotel and spend $2,000. And if somehow your COVID test is positive, you got to stay there the whole 14 days. And I mean, who's going to be able to afford that? So you know, it's, it's hard. And I just hope that I just hope people get the vaccines and we're able to live our lives. So do you think we'll get the vaccine in the US before, say, some of your family will get it in Canada? I don't know. I hope so. But I don't know. Based on your experience, which system, the Korean, the Canadian, the American system, which one do you think got it right? The Koreans, definitely. Why? Well, they they had seen this before. They had seen like SARS and so they kind of, you know, jumped on it and they're hypersensitive to it and they had all their protocols in place. Good for them. Like, bravo, Korea. Good for you. I think that what the COVID and the tests and all that has shown me anyway is that it's just, it's been a huge fear factor. You know, anytime you have a bit of a sniffle or you have like sinus pressure or just a cold, it's no longer about a cold anymore. It's only COVID, COVID. You know, if you have a cough, people kind of look at you strange and go, oh, I just want to get vaccinated. I want everyone to get vaccinated and then get on with life. All right. Well, on that high note. So this has been our experience with COVID and uh, our travels and that. And I hope you guys have found this informative and we've definitely loved sharing it with you. And thank you to Ray for joining us. Yay. Thank you for joining us today. And tune in next week when we talk to another expat about their adventures. 